You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 257 of the Make It British podcast. The 24th of April 2023 marks the 10-year anniversary of the collapse of the Rana Plaza garment factory in Bangladesh, which killed over a thousand workers and injured two and a half thousand more. To mark the 10-year anniversary, Labour Behind the Label, a campaign that works to improve conditions and empower workers in the global garment industry, is hosting a special event in the Leicester Garment District. I'm going to put the link to the event so that you can find out more about it and register in the show notes for the podcast. But I thought what would be really good this week to commemorate the event was to look back on the episode that I did with Dominique Muller from Labour Behind the Label, in which we discussed the issues around fast fashion, in particular Boohoo, and what effect they have had on the Leicester textile industry. It's one of the most popular episodes of the podcast and it's well worth a listen for anyone working in the garment or textile industry. So here you go. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dominique. I can imagine how busy you've been this week with your report coming out about Boohoo and Leicester factories. It's my pleasure to join you. (laughs) And before we get on to, to that report, do you want to tell everyone about Labour Behind the Label, in case they haven't heard about it and exactly what your organisation does. Yes, so we are, we've been going for about, I think, almost 20 years. And we're the only organisation in the UK that works specifically on garment worker. We are part of the wider Clean Clothes Campaign Network, which is around 250 partners worldwide. And about 30 different coalitions. So we work at a global level with Clean Clothes Campaign and we also work obviously in the UK looking at how UK businesses operate overseas and how they operate in the UK. So what we do primarily is to support workers, they are, in improving their working conditions, finding them a platform for their voice. And also, very importantly, is to make sure that they can improve their right to freedom of association so they can really organise themselves. So we we don't do sort of charity and development work. We really are a solidarity organisation. Brilliant. So how much this report that's come out that you've done recently which is fantastic i have to say it needed saying and it's brilliant that you've produced this now how much of a focus do you now have on the uk is that going to be a big thing for your organization do you think going forward as more people start to turn towards local manufacturing 
I think so. I must admit, we've been working on UK issues for quite a long time, but you probably know it's really difficult to get information, especially in places like Leicester. And increasingly, we were just hearing some terrible reports coming out during the the last couple of months, though we really had to do a report immediately. But we have been planning reports. We have been focusing on Boohoo and the UK garment industry. So we have been focusing on the UK industry and we've done some outreach to government. We participated in the last year's Environmental Audits Mm. Committee and various other projects. Never gone away. It's just really right now, I think, as the situation has become so precarious for these workers, we're right now focusing on the UK. Leicester, we've covered it before on this podcast. We've also have a trade show. There are some fantastic garment manufacturers in Leicester. But at the same time, there is also some that break the rules and ruin it for everyone else. And the industry knows it goes on. Your report, you had some fantastic information that you had received from people that were working at these factories from Boohoo. Do you want to tell people, firstly, how you achieved getting that sort of information? Because I know a lot of Leicester don't want to talk. How did you come about getting this information and putting this report together? You're right. A lot of people in Leicester don't want to talk. And I think... Mm. Especially now, they've become even more fearful because really their jobs are on the line. So the report has been a long time coming in terms of us reaching out to various sources. I don't want to give anything away about the information about the workers involved. We tried to to make sure that all the reports were anonymised. But obviously, these worker complaints, the workers have got nothing to gain and everything to lose from making Mm. the claim. We really stand by what evidence we found in the reports that we've heard. Yeah, this report is pretty damning stuff. It particularly points out boohoo here. Do you want to explain to maybe those that don't know why the finger is particularly pointed at boohoo in this report? I think Boohoo, on several levels, the fingers pointed. On the one hand, they are such a massive player in Leicester. Uh, They are the biggest buyer, the Boohoo group, the Boohoo group of factories. And as you you probably know know this yourself, but many brands have actually left Leicester as a result of all these exposes over the years. Because they don't want to take the risk of that losing reputational respect through the exposés. And also they know how difficult it is to actually monitor the situation. So Boohoo's become very much a sort of key player with almost a sort of stranglehold on many of the garment suppliers and their subcontractors. Obviously, our report it focuses on Boohoo, but we're not saying that every single instance was in a Boohoo supplier. But one of the key things about Boohoo is that their model of fast fashion and their pricing and their purchasing practices really have been driving, I think, driving standards down. And then thirdly, what we see with Boohoo and a couple of other major e-retailers, that their supply chain isn't transparent. So a lot of other high street brands, they've got supplier lists so you can go and check. Yeah. And it's all, they might not publish all their suppliers, but you can certainly find out. Whereas with Boohoo, it's so opaque that it's difficult to to get real information and to judge what Boohoo claim that they're doing. 
So in the report, we've got demands towards Boohoo, but also very strong demands to the local governments and central authorities, because I think it's really failed the people of Leicester. Yeah, I would agree. I've been in meetings with various stakeholders involved in this over the last few years. The council know it goes on. You've mentioned in your report that there's over a thousand units in Leicester. I that's a huge part of the city and a lot of them spring up and then they close down they reopen as a new name they're in really dilapidated old buildings how can they what would you advise that the council should do straight away to stop these new companies just springing up and breaking the law away as we're right now in the middle of a pandemic I think the real focus has got to be on investigating all the factories suspending production but at the same time making sure that those workers are getting paid yeah because the other thing we found out was that a lot of workers were told come into work even if you're sick or you're not going to get paid you're going to lose your job so that would be the first thing and I think also the council really needs to set up some sort of urgent hotline for workers mm-hmm. some sort of confidential avenue that workers can say look this is going on this is the place because at the moment a lot of workers they are scared they're scared of losing their jobs and they're scared of recriminations so that's one of the real urgent things but I think it's the council local council but also other authorities So far, what they've done is tended to have periodic raids, often around sort of immigration raids. And that, I think, has just been driving the situation downwards. uh, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Secrecy. Yeah. uh, Which which isn't helping. So there really needs to be a sort of joined up approach. Because you hear about factories being told by buyers from Boohoo or some of these retailers that are paying such small prices for to get clothes made in Leicester that they'll say if you won't make that for me for £1.50 don't worry I'll go to the place next door and the place next door will compete for the business and the price just get goes down and down and the buyers are driving this by demanding that the clothes are made for a cheaper and cheaper price every season. Exactly yeah you've hit the nail right on the head and I think It's the same thing that happens in garment production countries in Bangladesh and India and so on. But we're seeing it replicated in the middle of the UK. This sort of competition to get orders, Mm. as well as I do, often costs effects, rent, things like that, fabric. So the only flexibility really is in wages. So it ends up the workers' wages are being squeezed because the suppliers want the orders and Often, because of the the way that the fast fashion model has grown in terms of really short lead terms, small orders, it's quite precarious to be a supplier. So they're often dependent on on the goodwill with the big buyers. So they will just say yes, accept low wages and try and make it up. And some of the time, yeah, it's the workers that are paid half the minimum wage Mm. and it seems to have got worse I had heard over the last three months since we've been in lockdown I'd heard rumours that there was things going on in Leicester furloughed staff where factory workers were still getting them to work lots of orders going through increased orders going through Mm. from places like Boohoo because everyone switched to shopping online and of course Boohoo are an online business exactly yeah I mean do you want to tell people some of the things that you did discover over the last three months that were going on that were particularly concerning 
I think we of immediate concern are the issues around workers being pressurised to go back to work even when they were isolating or they were shielding vulnerable members of their families. Being told if you don't come back to work that's it or if you want to pick up your wages you have to come into work because we're not going to send them to you. And then there was a couple of instances where there were cases of COVID in the factory and workers were told don't tell anyone so don't tell your colleagues that so-and-so is working here and he's positive which is it's frightening it Um, is plus also these factories your typical garment factory anyway the machines are not two meters apart exactly it's very difficult to operate a sewing factory at full capacity at the moment the good factories at the moment are probably operating at 50 percent because they've got someone at every other machine they've got hand sanitizer everywhere staff are wearing face masks but your report implies that wasn't what was happening at the leicester factories that you were Exactly. We've heard reports of many Leicester factories adhering to Hmm. the social distancing guidelines. And a lot of businesses up and down the country have done a lot of work to make their workplaces safe and secure. But then in these examples that we found, it's small little workshops at full capacity. As you say, small rooms, lots of people, little ventilation. They're all sitting there all day, often without masks. It's such a dangerous situation to be in. So what can the good manufacturers of Leicester do? Because it's so disheartening. I had Mick Chima from Basic Premier on this podcast mm. about a year ago now, and he always says it's very difficult operating as a good manufacturer in Leicester there's always someone down the road who wants to offer to pay your staff cash in hand instead what and he feels like he's been fighting a losing battle what can the good guys do I think people like him they already do and I think continuing to speak out about about the bad practices of other factories to make it clear that not it's not all of Leicester because obviously Leicester there's a lot of of skilled garment workers there and and we in our report we make very clear that it's not everyone and it's exactly and it's not just Leicester either but obviously Leicester has got the biggest concentration of garment factories and I think one of the problems is that many brands have left Leicester so Mm. maybe some of the good suppliers feel a little bit unsupported but when reports come out like this, brands will be thinking, thank good God, I'm not still in Leicester, which is an absolute shame. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a question of the more reputable brands. And let's face it, many brands are that none of them are perfect, especially not from our labour rights point of view. But many are better. They have higher standards, more commitment to supporting suppliers, paying better prices. But I think until they they feel that they can come back and until the situation of all these illegally operating small workshops are fixed it is going to be tough for the good guys in Leicester yeah it's such a shame sorry that's not a positive thing no I know it's such a shame because there are I mean I've been to some fantastic places in Leicester and I think you need to look at and put the onus on the brands and the retailers themselves to make sure exactly that they're doing the right thing here my background is as a buyer and I see and I hear from some of the manufacturers the way that buyers now negotiate on 
prices and it's all about price now it's very mm. price driven or it certainly has been recently how does labor behind the label do anything to educate brands and retailers about how to make sure that modern slavery is not happening within their supply chains we do and a lot of work all around pricing about yeah for example, isolating labour costs. We've run several campaigns and we've just actually launched a new sort of website where you can check the commitments of various brands with the reality of oh, uh, great. of what they are actually paying garment workers. So it's all about living wages because yeah. that's a big commitment. Um, but obviously some brands make big commitments. They haven't got any benchmarks. They haven't separated out their labour costs. They haven't linked up that with their pricing. And that obviously, as you say, it's crucial. You need to really pay higher prices. Otherwise, as we've seen for the last couple of decades, brands will make wonderful codes of conduct and say yes we ask all suppliers to adhere to these codes of conduct and then the supplier is is left trying to adhere to these lovely codes of conduct while actually being paid minimal yeah and I often find out find it's because it's actually up to the junior buyer to negotiate the prices and they haven't because they don't understand the costings and they haven't necessarily been to the factories and seen how the costings are done and they don't almost don't equate oh well, I'm getting a dress made for £1.50 but it takes 15 minutes to make well that how does that even cover minimum wage before you even talk about the overheads of the factory yeah exactly and as you say it's often it's within the brand itself so Sometimes we we have a lot of contact with a lot of the CSR departments or the ethical teams. Um, yeah. And in some brands, they're very linked into the buying and the selling and the business decisions. But in other brands, they're not, which means they're sort of operating on their own. So even within the brand, they might be saying one thing, but the buyers are doing something completely yeah. different. And I think for me, what has been a, a, a shock in the COVID crisis i've had several shocks actually, but, but one of them has actually been in trying to talk to certain brands about the issues that are going on like the cancellations of orders because yeah. they have furloughed the entire ethical department so there's no one left to talk to so from our point of view in a crisis that is affecting millions of garment workers the worst thing you can do as a brand is to to get rid of your your CSR, CSR team yeah so it, but it, it shows you how some brands think CSR is an added bonus it's something pretty to make us mm. seem ethically responsible but when push comes to shove it's not important so that has been personally quite shocking dare I ask are there any brands or retailers that you think uh doing it well it's funny we're asked this question a lot and I think it depends on what you're looking at in some cases when you're looking at commitment to living wage or whether a brand has got a time-bound plan for living wage yeah some brands might do better but in terms of for example resolving allegations of abuse so one of the things that we work a lot on is urgent appeals where we get uh, information from our partners about factory specific issues and some brands are much more responsive than others 
And then there's some brands, for example, are much more engaged with things like the Bangladesh Accord on factory yeah. safety and others aren't. To say overall which ones are doing better, is it's quite tricky. But obviously, you know, some of the key brands that are more well-established it's funny I hardly ever say <laughs> which brands are doing well because yeah it okay, might come back to bite yeah of course yeah. there are some good there are some good initiatives and I think some of the members of ETI and just if we take the COVID response in terms of cancellation of orders yeah at the beginning of the crisis one of the knee-jerk reactions of many brands was to cancel billions of orders yeah. billions and some brands have done that to a lesser degree and some are now actually working to try and work out okay that was a knee-jerk reaction what orders can we reinstate so for that I would say that brands like Next or M&S they are trying harder even ASOS for example Arcadia and Edinburgh Woolen Mill stand out as ones that well not only do they not seem to have an ethical team at at the moment but they haven't been responsive at all and they have simply cancelled orders which Mm. has left a lot of suppliers in the lurch and hundreds of thousands of workers without money yeah it's shocking isn't it so as a consumer what can consumers do to make sure because I'm sure a lot of people that shop in Boohoo apart from my daughter's no she's not allowed to shop in Boohoo she's 15 <laughs> you're not allowed near that place oh my um, daughter's 15 as well and I, <laughs> I won't let her go to Boohoo either <laughs> but your average consumer who just sees all the celebs wearing these clothes and they see it on social media how can the message get across to them about how to spend their money wisely to make sure that they're not funding modern day slavery in the purchases that they're making? I think sometimes it's a slow process. I think I think some of it is awareness raising. So we really need to be reaching out to that gener- generation, that sort of demographic. Mm. And I think one of the biggest things that we say is to ask before you buy, to think, do you need that for a start? And then to ask in the shops, where was this made? Uh, do you know if the workers were made a living, were paid a living wage? And those sorts of things, they trickle down to the shop assistants who usually don't know, but are of the same age often as the consumer they then ask their manager will then go back to head office and we've seen it just in terms of staff having better training and being able to answer those questions um but also i think before covid there was a shift towards more responsible buying obviously not by everyone so one of the things that we hope comes out of it is that doesn't get lost because there was yeah, a lot of so lot of clothes swapping and recycling, upcycling and uh, clothes renting and all that stuff. It, yeah, so it would be awful if that was all lost. And I think yeah. also from a sort of from the government side, I just hope that in the effort to to get the economy restarted, because we all need jobs, we do need a good economy, but we don't make make the economy work while forgetting the climate change issues the environment and all the sort of movement towards sustainability yeah exactly you mentioned earlier about brands and retailers that kind of make it more transparent about which factories they use do you think that should almost be made a legal requirement 
the, absolutely the, because i think particularly in the fashion industry fat brands hold their factory portfolio very close to their chest often because they don't want their competitors to jump into a fantastic factory that they found and it's almost like their little little secret as to which manufacturers they use but it strikes me that the more transparent these brands were the less likely this would be to happen yeah no exactly and i think we've heard that argument about confidentiality and business interests being used less and less because obviously as more and more brands are making their supplier list public it becomes a bit of a redundant excuse and we certainly think that it should be mandatory if you go into a supermarket and you buy sausages or something you can look at the label Mm. you know where it came from it might even say which farm or something when you buy a t-shirt it might say made in india but you've got no idea no um and it makes it really difficult. It makes it difficult for the workers because often they, some of them don't know which brand they're making for if they're not in the label sewing department. Trade unions can't monitor, watchdogs can't monitor, governments don't know. And it, it's a pretty basic thing. And I think yeah. the majority of big brands now do accept that and do make tier one and some often tier two suppliers public. And also, I think, uh, sorry, <laughs> also, I think it, it does help the brands because although they want to keep good relationships with good suppliers, it, some brands can't afford to take a whole factory output. So they can see which other brands that they respect, that they know have got good standards and think, well, that seems like a good factory. Yeah, exactly. So it, it means that they can raise the standard and support suppliers better. You mentioned the government back then. (laughs) So, big intake of breath. There was that interim report they did last year that Mary Craig headed up about sustainability in the fashion industry. And I'm sure the Labour behind the label put in evidence towards that, as did many other people in the industry calling for the government to do something about this. And, of course, the whole thing just got passed aside didn't it and nothing it did nothing their response was yeah thanks but but stay the same where can we go next in order to try and reintroduce where how can we make some action happen in terms of getting the government to start listening more about what's going on in the fashion industry and what they could do better Sorry, Your dog's, dog's got plenty to yeah. say on that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't blame him. He doesn't like Boris. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I, I think some of the demands in our report from last week, oh, sorry, some of the demands in our report from this week, they clearly outline the long-standing need for legislation, for mandatory mm. Due diligence, but the government has just taken such a back seat on this and hands off approach. So business can regulate itself, and <sighs> if there's a problem, it's, it's a few bad apples, and that isn't the way. And I think, to be honest, increasingly brands talk about wanting a level playing field. And before, I think you spoke to most brands, and they wouldn't want any legislation. But now I think it's got to a point when actually they would welcome some legislation to actually to make this sort of competition between really low prices and poor standards uh, much more equal. So I think perhaps working with those brands that are keen to push that, making sure that 
with this report and whatever goes on in Leicester, because I, I hear right at the moment there's a lot of activity in Leicester by enforcement agencies, and obviously it's too little too late, but yeah, to make sure that they understand this is their responsibility, it's not going to go away without a really joined up coherent response so to seize this opportunity to make sure that something happens and as you say MPs have have raised this the environment the parliamentary environmental audit committee raised this questions have been raised in the house of parliament academic research it's the evidence is all there I think it's just a push that we need Mm. Uh, but I, I do worry that the government is is going to be unwilling to legislate after COVID, but I'm hopeful (laughs) that we can still get change. You mentioned joined up responsibility. I find that actually means that they all collectively have no responsibility because they all think that a different (laughs) department is going to work on it. Yeah, so they're all like, that's not my department, that's your department. So it gets pushed around and no one has any responsibility. And I can see it happening with the sourcing of PE as well, because oh, yes. oh, it's the, the onus is on the manufacturer to make sure that they're doing things correctly. Yes, Which no, is- absolutely. There has to be some real leadership to make sure that doesn't <laughs> happen. But in terms of Leicester, when I say joined up, I, I, I mean, we don't want more immigration raids just uh, as an answer. Immigration raids, they're not the answer. They push it down underground. They yeah. There isn't the follow-up and the support for those workers who might actually be victims of modern slavery. So it has to be looked at from an issue of not just the criminal behaviour, but also the labour practices, labour laws, the involvement of trade unions, of other stakeholders. But obviously with strong leadership, so it isn't just passed from authority to authority. And I also because I have been speaking to the government about the PPE manufacturing, what amazes me, I don't know why it does amaze me, is how little they understand the textile industry and the way it all works and what factories we have here. And actually that you've mentioned in your report there's a 1,000 plus places in Leicester, but yet the Office of National Statistics says the figure is actually considerably lower for the amount of sewing factories in Leicester. So no one knows the true amount. And so they haven't really have no clue about what the industry looks like. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think it's just this sort of lack of almost, it's not just a lack of attention to detail. It's like lack of responsibility. It is partly what you've said before, like passing the buck onto someone else. But also, obviously, we've seen a lot of the enforcement agencies lose a lot of resources and money. Mm. So in terms of, I saw a statistic the other month about, you can expect an investigation by HMRC every 30 years or 300 years. I can't remember the actual figure, but it was basically saying, if you are a dodgy business owner, don't worry. Your chances um, of getting caught out, you're going to be fine. Exactly. So some people are willing to take that chance. But it is incredible with the PPE and stuff, because obviously we've got a lot of capacity in the UK, but it's all just been handled. Someone, well, actually said to me, <laughs> someone actually said to me recently, PPE has become the new fast fashion, in that I have heard... <laughs> 
of people going around Leicester seeing if someone will make a gown for £1.25. And it's, well, I know it takes, <laughs> other manufacturers have told me it takes 12 minutes to make a gown. Now, if you do the simple maths, that's not living wage. Yeah. So. No, and that is just contributing to the problem. It's just such a short-sighted approach. Mm. So what is next for Labour behind the label in terms of this following up with Boohoo? I, I see that they've come back and not only said no comment, but actually dissed the whole report. <laughs> they have, There's but then I'm not surprised. But yeah, <laughs> I did. I have looked at their statements and I've, I'm actually in the process of writing a reply with questions, follow up questions mm. to Boohoo tonight. But I have written to the HSE. I'm in writing to Alex Sharma about the investigations that are going on and the city council. I know there's a lot of activity at the moment, but I, we will be trying to keep our focus on the longer term demands and also making sure that our factories are closed down. If they're unsafe, we want them closed down. We don't want workers operating in, in unsafe conditions. But we want to make sure that those workers are given their wages, their proper benefits, and not just left. Because a lot of the workers are on, they're not on the books, cash only. So we will be making sure that that type of thing is also enforced. How many people work for Labour behind the Labour? I can imagine you're quite a small team with quite a big job to do. We are. We punch. I hope we punch well above our yeah. weight. But there's three of us. We all three oh, of gosh. us work part time. Yeah. So I do policy. My colleague Meg does. So I do policy and urgent appeals and international. And Meg does comms, media, activists. And then Caroline does uh, website, funding, money, admin, everything else. So on the matter of funding and money, how can people support you? So if people are listening to this and they want to get behind what you're doing... What's the best way of doing that? We've got various options. What we want is obviously for people to take action. So at the moment, we've got a petition on Boohoo. It's all about transparency. So it's got a very simple ask. Our website is labourbehindthelabel, all one word, dot org. And then I think it's just, uh, I should know this off by heart, but I don't. Sorry, I'll find the link. (laughs) Um, and I'll put so it in they, the show notes for the podcast brilliant. along with your, your survey as well for Boohoo yes. and a copy of the report. And you said earlier as well about your new website that you set up with yes. details about Yes, so that is, called, that is called the fashionchecker.org. And that right. is, yes, it's got a survey. We surveyed with our colleagues in Clean Clothes Campaign over 108 brands about their living wage commitment. So you can click on you can go to the website and you can click on your favorite brand and just see what they've said and you can make up your mind if you think it's good enough excellent um, yeah and well, we've that's also... a good direction yeah that's a good exactly. move forward with transparency isn't it exactly so over the next three years we are doing field research in lots of different countries to populate all the factories the factory information so we're, we're working with different organisations in production countries and eventually, I hope, in the UK to get workers to input their pay slips, what they're being paid, if they get paid for overtime, all those sorts of details. So then you can click on a brand, click on factory in Cambodia, for example, and see what's actually happening. 
we've also got we do have a donate feature on our website we've also got a mailing list and there is for those people who you know who really want to support the garment workers overseas who are in serious trouble there's also a a fund that you can if you go to the cleanclothes.org website there is a fund where money is being donated to the affected garment workers brilliant Dominique, you're an absolute star. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for having on me. The podcast and explaining to everyone. Amazing. Keep up the great work. Thank you.